Welcome to the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. A podcast where an oldish man talks at a measured volume about music. And now, your host, Roger Strip. Hello, and welcome back to the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Scroop. This is our third episode now, and I'm kind of getting into the uh, rhythm of things. I mean, I still have some doubts about people wanting to hear what I have to say, but you know what? I'm going to say it, and people will hear it or, or they won't. And I'm feeling pretty good because now we've got some a little wider distribution. We've been pick, we've been picked up by Spotify and Google Play and a couple other things, and I'm sure there's more to come. So I'm feeling good about things, and I'm ready to get on with our next episode. So this week, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about songs that were on the American, Canadian, and British pop charts on December 12, 1987. I'm going to start out by surveying the overall pop culture landscape. When it comes to the movies that came out in December of 1987, it's like a murderer's row of popular 80s movies. You got Wall Street, Eddie Murphy Raw, Throw Mama from the Train, Moonstruck, The Last Emperor, Broadcast News, Good Morning Vietnam. The movie that made the most money at the box office this month was one that came out of November, Three Men and a Baby. The Stonecutters were working overtime for Steve Gutenberg on that one. But there's two other movies that came out this month that I think are worth mentioning. One is Empire of the Sun, which was it wasn't one of Steven Spielberg's most famous films, but it is notable for being the first big movie role for a 13-year-old named Christian Bale. It also released this month was a movie that should be on the Mount Rushmore of 80s box office bombs alongside Heaven's Gate, Howard the Duck, and Ishtar. Of course, I'm talking about the Bill Cosby action comedy, Leonard Part 6. The biggest event in TV happened on the 27th, when Gail Searins became the first woman to call play-by-play for a National Football League game, when she did the Kansas City Chiefs-Seattle Seahawks game for NBC. Kansas City won the game 41-20. to Searins never did another game, but she did return to her sports desk at a station in Tampa, Florida, where she would stay for another 28 years. Best-selling books this month included two novels that will be turned into Harrison Ford movies, Presumed Innocent by Scott Turow and Patriot Games by Tom Clancy. There were also two hit books about rich people in New York, The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe and Trump, The Art of the Deal by Donald J. Trump with Tony Schwartz and the most notable event in the pop music world occurred on the 23rd, when Motley Crue bassist Nicky Six overdosed on heroin and was legally dead for two minutes until he was revived by two shots of adrenaline. This is the event that cemented in the public mind the band's image as indestructible creatures of pure debauchery, immortalized in the recent Netflix film The Dirt. All right, let's get to the charts. Just like last time, I'm going to start with a song that never made the top 40 in any of our countries. Usually this is going to be a song that was obscure then and now, but sometimes it'll be a song that didn't technically become a hit when it was first released, but then got used in a lot of shows and commercials and or became a big song at weddings or special events, 
and reached the point where it's better known than many songs that were way bigger chart hits. I can safely say that this is the case with the song I'm about to, dis to discuss, the song that debuted on the Billboard Hot 100 at number 95 this week, Hot 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 by Buster Poindexter and his Banshees of Blue. Buster Poindexter is a character created by Staten Island-born singer-guitarist David Johansson, who first gained notoriety in the early 1970s fronting the New York Dolls, a band whose sound, style, and attitude would influence both the punk of the late 70s and the glam metal of the 80s. The Dolls got a lot of press and hype, but that didn't translate into sales, and they broke up in 1975 after two albums. Johansson put out several solo albums over the next decade, then he created the Buster Poindexter character, a pompadoured lounge lizard who fronted a band with a horn section and, perform and performed soul and Latin-flavored jazz. He started performing in clubs, then on Saturday Night Live, and then he did an album from which came this single. Hot 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 is a cover of a 1983 track by a soca artist from Montserrat called Arrow. His version reached number 59 in Britain. It's a big, brassy song about having the right music to dance and have fun to. As it goes, See people rocking, hear people chanting, feeling hot, hot, hot. Keep up this spirit. Come on, let's do it. Feeling hot, hot, hot. It's in the air. Celebration time. Music sweet. Captivate your mind. We have this party song. This fundamental jam. So we go rum bum bum boom. Yeah, we go rum bum bum boom. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Oh, Lord. It's just made for conga lines, and Johansson Poindexter leads the party with a swagger reminiscent of the legendary Louis Prima. It's the kind of record that was always going to be made. It was just a matter of when and by who. Hot, hot, hot peaked at number 45 in the States, and it stalled in the 50s in Canada. But the video got a lot of play on MTV, back when MTV did that sort of thing. And the song has been used in multiple TV shows, movies, and commercials, and is on many a wedding DJ's default playlist. Johansson would, re would release three more Buster Poindexter albums. Then he put out two albums of traditional folk and blues music with his band The Harry Smiths, before reuniting with the only other surviving member of the New York Dolls, Sylvain Sylvain, to reform the band for three albums between 2006 and 2011. So now we go to the top 40s, starting with the number 34 song in Britain, Dinner with Gershwin by Donna Summer. We talked about Donna Summer in our first episode, focusing on her late 70s heyday. The 80s started out well, well for her, with a Greatest Hits album that produced another North American Top 5 in the song On the Radio, and then a new record deal which, which made her one of the flagship artists, along with John Lennon and Elton John, of the new Geffen Records label. Her debut single, Under the New, Under the new Deal, the new wave influenced The Wanderer, was another Top 5, but her next two singles stalled in the lower regions of the Top 40, and that began a rough patch in her career. Label boss David Geffen refused to release the next album she recorded, and of her next dozen singles, only two made the top ten, and the biggest of those, 1983's She Works Hard for the Money, 
was recorded for her old label as a means of settling a dispute over her old contract. And so here she was in 1987, with her first single in nearly three years. Dinner with Gershwin is an intriguing title. So what's it about? Well, the title is one of the impossible things she dreams of doing. Here's some lyrics. You'll see what I mean. I want to have dinner with Gershwin. I want to watch Rembrandt sketch. I want to talk theory with Curie. Impossible, I guess. I want to talk moods with Picasso on a rendezvous. I want to fly double with Earhart. I want to get next to you. See? She talks about all these activities she'd like to partake in with famous people who are long dead, and she's saying that these fantasies are just as unlikely as her winning the object of her affection. The track is Funk with a Big Beat, which should be in, in her wheelhouse. But she sings the verses in this nasal voice that I think is supposed to sound edgy, like Grace Jones or something, but I don't like it. I think it would be a better song if she'd let loose the whole time. Dinner with Gershwin was on its way down this week, having peaked at number 13, making it her biggest hit of the decade to date in the UK. It hit number 39 in Canada and number 48 in the States. Her next couple singles would disappoint, but in 1989 she would hook up with the hot British production team of Stock, Aitken, and Waterman for one more big hit, the triple top 10, This Time I Know It's For Real. Next we go to Canada for their number 36, I Don't Mind At All by Bourgeois Tag. Brent Bourgeois and Larry Tag grew up together in Dallas, Texas, then moved to Sacramento, California, where they recruited other members for a band named after themselves. Their self-titled debut album made the top 200, and a single, Mutual Surrender, hit number 62. Their second album, Yo-Yo, was produced by Todd Rundgren, a successful artist in his own right, and also the producer of Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell album, and also the debut album by the New York Dolls. I Don't Mind It All was the first single. I Don't Mind It All is a song about rationalizing the end of a relationship. It's just acoustic guitar and strings, with some drums on the bridges. It's Baroque pop that portrays the mixed emotions of the lyric perfectly. Here are, here are some of those lyrics. Sentiments and tears will get you as far as you might think they will. But I don't, no, I don't mind at all. Misery loves company, but she will never foot the bill. But I don't, no, I don't mind at all. It's important to me that I don't see you laughing at me. But I'm smart enough to know that I have to let you go. But I don't mind at all. It says this decision wasn't easy, and I'm suffering for it, but it was still the right one, and I'll get through it. There's no blame, no bitterness, just honesty. I Don't Mind It All peaked at number 36 in Canada. It performed similarly in America and, and Britain, hitting number 38 and number 35, respectively. The group broke up shortly afterward. Brent Bourgeois released a pop solo album in 1991, but then turned to the world of contemporary Christian music. First as an artist, then as a producer and an executive. Larry Tagg put out two solo albums in the 90s, and he became a high school English teacher before retiring in 2017. 
Next, we look at the American number 37, True Faith by New Order. New Order began with Joy Division, a group formed in Manchester in 1976. The band built a following, and they seemed about to make a breakthrough in the spring of 1980. They were about to release their second album, and they were preparing for a tour of the United States. But on May 18th, singer Ian Curtis, who had been battling depression, committed suicide. The album came out two months later and produced a top 20 single, but the remainder of the band, guitarist Bernard Sumner, bassist Peter Hook, and drummer Stephen Morris, were left to decide if and how to carry on. Ultimately, they decide to change their name to New Order, have Sumner do lead vocals, and add Morris's girlfriend, Jillian Gilbert, on keyboards. They also moved in a more electronic dire direction with their sound. This had worked well for them, as they sc had scored eight top 40 hits at home, including the 1983 top 10, Blue Monday, before p finally picking up an American hit with this song, True Faith. True Faith is one of New Order's lighter sounding songs, but it's about how the singer feels liberated by the realization that yes, his life has been hard, but he can change it starting now. The lyrics are deceptively hopeful, which, with much of the deception provided by Sumner's anguished vocal. Here's some of what he sings. When I was a very small boy, very small boys talked to me. Now that we've grown up together, afraid of what they see. That's the price that we all pay, and the value of destiny comes to nothing. I can't tell you where we're going. I guess there's just no way of knowing. I used to think that the day would never come. I'd see delight in the shade of the morning sun. My morning sun is the drug that brings me near to the childhood I lost, replaced by fear. I used to think that the day would never come that my life would depend on the morning sun. It's that point where you've had enough of feeling trapped in the past and being scared of the unknown, but resigned to it. A hopeful realism. True Faith would peak at number 32 in America. It wouldn't get past the 50s in Canada, but it would be their biggest UK hit to date, reaching number 4. They would only have one more American hit in 1993 with the song Regret, but they had 16 more hits at home, including their only number one, their 1990 collaboration with the England national football team, World in Motion. Bassist Peter Hook left acrimoniously in 2006, but the rest of the group continues on to this day. We remain in the States for their number 28 song, Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bangles. The Bangles came out of an early 80s LA scene called the Paisley Underground, made up of bands who were very influenced by 60s psychedelia. The group's 1984 debut album got them some notice and a spot opening for Cyndi Lauper on tour. But they got their big break two years later when Prince gave them a song to record. That song was Manic Monday and it went to number two in the U.S., Canada, and Britain. Three more hits followed, including the North American number one, Walk Like an Egyptian. This was their fifth top 40 hit, taken from the soundtrack of the Andrew McCarthy, Robert Downey Jr. film, Less Than Zero. Hazy Shade of Winter is a cover of a 1966 hit by Simon and Garfunkel, 
It's about a frustrated poet, a kind of high-minded subject the duo wrote a lot about. The original is a decent track, but Simon's snotty vocal doesn't evoke much sympathy. The Bangles version starts slowly, with jingling bells and the ladies harmonizing wistfully over what time has taken from them. Then it kicks into a stomping rock track, but the harmonies stay pretty. It evokes someone trying to stay pure among the noise and debauchery around them, which fits in with the film's theme of teens falling prey to adult temptations. It, it gives advice to someone to stay strong, but that advice seems to be coming from someone who learned that lesson too late. At least that's how I interpret this section. Look around. Leaves are brown, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Hang on to your hopes, my friend. That's an easy thing to say, but if your hopes should pass away, simply pretend that you can build them again. Look around. Grass is high. Fields are ripe. It's the springtime of my life. Seasons change with their scenery, weaving time in a tapestry. Won't you stop and remember me? This is the rare cover that makes a song better, and for me, it's the best thing the band ever did. Hazy Shade of Winter was another big hit, reaching number two in America, number three in Canada, and number 11 in Britain. The band released their third album in late 1988, which gave them three more hits, including Eternal Flame, which went to number one in the U.S. and U.K. and number four in Canada. But intra-band tensions over the amount of attention lead vocalist Susanna Hoffs was getting caused the, caused the band to break up in late 1989. Hoffs made solo records, and the rest of the band worked on other projects, but in 1998... Susanna Hoffs' husband, film director Jay Roach, convinced the group to reunite to do a song for his movie, Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. After that, they decided to reform for good, and they have released two albums and played thousands of live shows since then. Now it's back to Canada for their number 25, Animal by Def Leppard. Formed in Sheffield, England, Def Leppard were part of what was called the new wave of British heavy metal of the late 70s and early 80s. Their first two albums sold well and built them a following, but it was their third album, 1982's Pyromania, that made them international stars, spawning three North American top 40 hits. They were riding high until New Year's Eve of 1984, when drummer Rick Allen lost his left arm in a car accident. However, Allen was committed to continuing his career, and with the band's support, he helped design an, an electronic drum kit that would let him use his legs more, and so he remained in the group. Their fourth album, Hysteria, was released in the fall of 1987, and this was its first hit single. Animal is catchy, driving hard rock about primal lust. Everything about it, from the big beat to the squeals and grinds of guitar, to the growls and yowls of singer Joe Elliott, gives off hormonal vibes. And that's not even mentioning the lyrics. A wild ride over stony ground. Such a lust for life. The circus comes to town. We are the hungry ones on a lightning raid. Just like a river runs, like a fire needs flame. Oh, I burn for you. 
I gotta feel it in my blood. Whoa. I need your touch. Don't need your love. Whoa. And I want. And I need. And I lust. Animal. And I want. And I need. And I lust. Animal. Gotta love the wordplay on the chorus. It's way better than that 90s song that had that line, Or am I origami? What was that? Animal would peak at number 19 in the U.S. and number 21 in Canada, but it was by far their biggest hit to date in Britain, going all the way to number 6. Hysteria would become the band's biggest album, topping the charts in several countries and producing five more hit singles, including the American number 1, Love Bites. The group never reached these heights again, but they would have several more hit singles and albums, and, sh and they show no signs of stopping as they are scheduled for a huge American stadium tour next summer with Motley Crue, Poison, and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Moving back to the UK, here's their number 20 this week, I'm the Man by Anthrax. Named for a disease that was then best known for infecting sheep, this New York group was formed in 1981, and they became one of the pioneers of thrash metal. The group's sound wasn't particularly radio-friendly, but they built a fan base through touring and word of mouth. Early in 1987, they reached number 32 on the UK singles chart with I Am The Law, a song based on the British comic book character Judge Dredd. I'm The Man was a six-track EP, but EPs are listed in the singles charts in Britain. I'm going to focus on the title song. I'm the Man is a parody-slash-tribute to the way the Beastie Boys melded rap and hard rock on their License to Ill album. The rhymes are exaggerated boasting, punctuated by a guy who can't figure out the rhyming word at the end. Here's some lyrics. You'll see what I mean. We've got real deaf rhythms and fresh new jams. And you think we got egos, but we're just hams. Scott plays stickball and likes to skate. Frank is never on time. He's always sleeping. Late! They drink the drinks, the drinks they drank. I put my money in the bank. They cut their crack. They offer joints. We don't do drugs. Do you get our meaning? Point! Point! Watch the beat. I'm on your case. I'm in your face. Kick you and your father back in place. Step off, sucker. Understand. Don't you know I'm the man? I'm the man. I'm bad. I'm so bad I should be in detention. I'm the man. Shut up. It's silly. It's juvenile. It's beautiful. I'm the man would peak at number 20. On the American album chart, it hit number 53. Anthrax would have six more hits in Britain the biggest being another rap-rock hybrid, a cover of Public Enemy's Bring the Noise, featuring P.E.'s Chuck D. himself. There have been lineup shuffles since, and there was talk of a name change after Anthrax the Disease was used as a bioweapon in 2001, but the band has continued on, and they are set to release their 12th studio album soon. We'll be back with more 
after this. Hello, this is podcaster Roger Scroop with another commercial for Linda's Lessons. You know, my wife, Linda Quigg, is a little uncomfortable about me doing commercials for her. She has this idea that she's somehow unworthy of being promoted this way. Well, I can assure you that she is more than worthy of a commercial. And if you live in and around St. Catharines, Ontario, and you are in the market for singing, piano, or musical theory lessons, she is infinitely worthy of your business. If there is music in you, she will bring it out in a friendly, enjoyable, and thoroughly professional manner. So look her up on Facebook by searching for Linda's Lessons. That's Linda with a Y. And check out her singing videos on the Facebook page. The lady can sing. And she does weddings. Just saying. We're back, and we're in Britain again with their number 18, A Fairy Tale of New York, by the Pogues and Percy McCall. The Pogues were formed in London by musicians of Irish extraction in 1977. They combined punk with traditional Irish instrumentation and were known for the slurry delivery of lead singer Shade McGowan. Earlier in 1987, they had scored their first top 10 by teaming up with folk group The Dubliners on the Irish Rover. And as the year ended they decided to release an unorthodox Christmas song featuring McGowan duetting with Kirsty McCall, a London native who had had two hits of her own and also wrote the international hit They Don't Know by comedian Tracy Ullman. A Fairy Tale of New York is a song about an Irish immigrant spending Christmas Eve in a New York jail after being ar arrested for public intoxication. While there, he hears someone singing an old Irish folk song, and it reminds him of the love of his life. First, how hopeful and jo joyous they were at the possibilities of life, then how disappointment drove them to bitter, profane fights. The lyrics describe those fights in vivid detail, and that has caused much controversy over the years. I won't go into that verse. Instead, I'll skip ahead to the part where they identify the hurt behind the anger. Shane, I could have been someone. Kirsty, well, so could anyone. You took my dreams from me when I first found you. Shane, I kept them with me, babe. I put them with my own. Can't make it all alone. I've built my dreams around you. An expletive-laced lament about lost love and regret doesn't seem like something that would fit in with the holiday season, but there's something about it that does. Maybe that maybe it's that we have we all have pain and regret, and the holidays are a time where we're all looking for a moment as pure and beautiful as listening to the NYPD choir sing while bells ring. A Fairy Tale of New York was an immediate hit, and it looked like it could take the coveted title of UK Christmas number one, but it fell just short, peaking at number two but it has become one of the most popular Christmas songs in Britain, topping many polls and lists of Yuletide favorites, and it has returned to the top 20 every year since 2005, including this year. It's at number 14 this week. They would have two more top 40s, one with and one without McGowan, who was fired in 1991 for unreliability. The group broke up in 1996, 
then reunited with McGowan in 2001, and they toured regularly until they decided to disband again in 2014. McCall herself had two more solo hits and was making music right up until December of 2000, when she was tragically killed when struck by a motorboat while diving with her family off the coast of Cozumel, Mexico. Next, we look at the number 14 song in America, Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith. Formed in Boston, Aerosmith was built around singer Steven Tyler and guitarist Joe Perry, later known as the Toxic Twins. They broke through in the second half of the 70s, picking up six hits, including the top tens Dream On and Walk This Way. But by the end of the decade, drug abuse and friction took their toll. Perry left the band, and they saw a steep decline in their fortunes. Perry came back in 1985, and the next year, uh, things began to turn around for them when Perry and Tyler contributed to Run DMC's top, top five hip-hop cover of Walk This Way. The band subsequently got clean, and in the fall of 87, they put out the album Permanent Vacation, which featured this song. Dude Looks Like a Lady was reportedly inspired by a stop made by Tyler and Motley Crue's Vince Neil at a gay bar, where the waitstaff were men in drag. In the song, Tyler sings about meeting a hot girl in a club, then discovering that she's not who he thought he wa she was. Given the macho, womanizing image of the band, one might expect a derisive, transphobic tone. But surprisingly, that doesn't seem to be present here, at least not in an obvious way. Tyler is surprised by what he finds out, but not offended. And in fact, there are some indications that he might not be deterred from his pursuit. See what you make of these lyrics. Let me take a peek, dear. Baby, let me follow you down. Do me, do me, do me all night. Baby, let me follow you down. Turn the other cheek, dear. Baby, let me follow you, follow you down. Do me, do me, do me, do me. What a funky lady. Oh, she like it, like it, like it, like it. Maybe it's just me, but it sounds like he's more curious than grossed out, and is still okay with continuing his planned activities with this funky lady. And I'm not going to judge him for that. Dude Looks Like a Lady peaked at number 14 in America, number 22 in Canada, and number 45 in Britain. But it was the beginning of a comeback that saw the band become more massive than ever, scoring 14 top 40s between 1988 and 2001, including the 1998 number one, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. They are still touring, and there are reports of another album next year. back to Canada for their number 11, The One I Love by R.E.M. Formed in 1980 in Athens, Georgia, and named for Rapid Eye Movement Sleep, R.E.M. developed a following thanks to touring, critical acclaim, and airplay on American college radio. Their albums were selling well, but their only three charting singles fell well short of the top 40. Then came this one, the first single from their fifth album, Document. The One I Love sounds like the jangly rock the band had always traded in, but with added radio-friendly power chords. The lyrics are also more straightforward than previous, but they're subtle, and they're commonly misinterpreted. Singer Michael Stipe says he's dedicating the song to his loved one, but he then dismisses her as 
a simple prop to occupy my time. And in the last verse, he essentially dumps her, saying, another prop has occupied my time. And yet people have mistaken it for a sweet love song, in the same way they have done with the police's sinister tale of obsession, Every Breath You Take. So while R.E.M. did craft this song for accessibility, they still snuck in some subversion. The one I love peaked at number 11 in Canada and made it to number 9 in the States. This set them on the road to, to becoming one of the biggest bands in the world, with multiple best-selling albums and hit singles such as Stand, Losing My Religion, and Everybody Hurts. The group struggled with health issues, declining sales, and the departure of drummer Bill Berry in the late 90s and early 2000s, but their last two albums were seen as commercial and artistic comebacks, and the band amicably, amicably decided to retire in 2011. Staying in Canada, let's look at their number seven song, Try by Blue Rodeo. Formed in 1985 by high school friends Jim Cuddy and Greg Keeler, Blue Rodeo immediately became stars of the Toronto club scene and released their debut album, Outskirts, in March of this year. The title track reached the top 40 on the national country charts, but it was their next single that really made an impact. Try is a gorgeous ballad that skirts the line between country and soul, highlighted by Keeler's aching vocal. The lyrics seem to be from the point of view of a man infatuated with a woman, but in spite of how much he desires her, he wants her to explore all of her other options instead of just settling, settling with him. That's what I get. See what you think. So many people who sit have said, Ooh, girl, you've got nothing but time. Oh, you are a shining star. Don't you worry about what you're leaving behind. Every time you walk in the room, I couldn't ever be sure of a smile. You were never the same way twice. I'm falling in love, oh, night after night. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, you've got to try, try, try. It's heartbreaking. It's beautiful. It's a song that, for me, can compete with anything by anyone. Try what hit number six on the Canadian pop chart and number one on the country chart. They would have 18 more hit singles, and are now regarded as one of the country's most loved and respected musical institutions. But they never got tr any traction elsewhere in the world, and their biggest American exposure came when they played Meryl Streep's backup band in the 1990 movie Postcards from the Edge. Now we're in Britain for their number six, Letter from America, by the Proclaimers. From Leith, Scotland, the Proclaimers were formed in 1983 by bespectacled twins Charlie and Craig Reed. They got their break when one of their fans mailed their tape to the English band The House Martins, who were impressed enough to take them on tour. That led to a TV appearance, which led to a record deal, which led to this, their first hit. Letter from America is a folk pop song about how Scottish people were leaving to seek better opportunities in the U.S. and Canada at this time, due to the economic policies of British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. It compares this experience to that of people affected by the Highland Clearances, a period in the 18th and 19th centuries where wealthy landowners 
evicted people and forced them to emigrate to North America so they could use the land for sheep farming. Here's some lyrics. Broke off from my work the other day. I spent the evening thinking about all the blood that flowed away across the ocean to the second chance. I wonder how it got on when it reached the promised land. I've looked at the ocean, tried hard to imagine the way you felt from the day you sailed from Wester Ross to Nova Scotia. We should have held you. We should have told you. But you know our sense of timing. We always wait too long. This is a song about a specific period of Scottish history with overt political messages, and yet it resonated with all of Great Britain. I love that. Letter from America was down this week from its peak of number three. The group has had five more top 40 hits in Britain. The most famous of these, the 1989 number 11, I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles, became a North American top five in 1993 when it was used in the Johnny Depp movie Benny and June. The Proclaimers re-recorded I'm Gonna Be 500 Miles in 2007 with two British TV characters for the comic relief charity, and that gave them their first and only number one. The group continues to record and tour to this day. And now the American number 10, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. George Harrison was in a band that had some success in the 60s called The Beatles. When they broke up, his solo career kicked into gear with the 1971 Triple Crown winner, My Sweet Lord. He had several more hits in the 70s, including another U.S. number one with Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. But he hadn't had a hit in six years when he released this track, produced by Jeff Lynne from the Electric Light Orchestra. Got My Mind Set on You is a cover of a 1962 song by American R&B singer James Ray about romantic perseverance. Lynn's production is a little too polished, but Harrison's vocals are exuberant and committed on lines like this. And this time I know it's for real, the feelings that I feel. I know if I put my mind to it, I know that I really can do it. But it's going to take money, a whole lot of spending money. It's going to take plenty of money to do it right, child. It's going to take time, a whole lot of precious time. It's going to take patience and time to do it, 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 to do it right. He sounds simply like a man in love, and his enthusiasm is infectious. Got My Mind Set on You would hit number one in North America and number two in the UK. His next single, When We Was Fab, hit the top 40 in all three countries. He didn't release a lot of music on his own after that, but he stayed in the public consciousness for things such as his work with the, with the all-star group The Traveling Wilburys and his appearance in the 1993 Simpsons episode Homer's Barbershop Quartet. George Harrison died in November of 2001, and two months later, a reissue of My Sweet Lord went to number one in Britain. His 2002 posthumous album, Brainwashed, was certified gold. We'll be back to talk about the top tens and one of the number ones right after this.
Hello, I'm Roger Scroop, host of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. If you like listening to this, I've got good news. It's also a blog. I've been writing it for over nine years, looking back at hits from the past from the American, British, and Canadian pop music charts. Right now, I'm mainly covering British charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So if you can't learn enough about Cliff Richard, status quo, and singing soccer players, this is the place for you. I also do a Canadian chart recap about once a month. So if you need a Trooper or Kim Mitchell fix, I'm your man. And I'm also in the middle of a project to determine the most unique, interesting, and or just plain weird U.S. Top 40 hit of the 1980s. And to top it all off, it's the place to be to get the links to, to the latest episode of this very podcast before anywhere else. So check it out at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is that the URL? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Now it's time when we look at the top tens of our three countries. This time we'll begin with the United States. Fire up the American music. Number 10, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. And number 9, Don't You Want Me by Jody Watley, the second solo hit from a former member of Shalimar. Number 8, We'll Be Together by Sting, the first hit from the second solo album by The Ex-Policeman. Number 7, So Emotional by Whitney Houston. This would become her sixth straight American number 1. And number 6, Shake Your Love by Debbie Gibson the second hit by one of the late 80s dueling teen queens. Number five, Is This Love by Whitesnake, the ballad follow-up to the number one, Here I Go Again. Number four, I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes, the theme from the hit movie Dirty Dancing. At number three, Shoulda Known Better by Richard Marks, the second hit for the soft rocker from Chicago. At number two, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle the only number one for the lead singer of the Go-Go's. And the number one song in the U.S. this week was Faith by George Michael. The first number one for the former Wham! singer. The leather jacket, the jukebox, the shuffling guitar, a defining 80s hit. Now we're going to Canada. Time for that Canadian groove. At number 10, I've Been In Love Before by Cutting Crew, the second hit for this British two-hit wonder. Number 9, We'll Be Together by Sting. At number 8, Pop Goes the World by Men Without Hats, the second most famous song from the Montrealers behind The Safety Dance. At number 7, Try by Blue Rodeo. Number 6, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. At number 5, Moni Moni by Billy Idol. Is Tommy James and the Shondells cover that people sometimes chant dirty words to. At number four, Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda Carlisle. At number three, Faith by George Michael. At number two, I Think We're Alone Now by, Tiffy, by Tiffany. Another Tommy James cover, this time by Debbie Gibson's arch rival. And the number one song in Canada was I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jen- Jennifer Warren. Dirty Dancing was hot. 
And at last, here's the British Top 10. Cue the Brit music. Number 10, Once Upon a Long Ago by Paul McCartney. This is a song he wrote for the movie The Princess Bride, but the director said it was too sentimental. At number 9, Love Letters by Alison Moyet, one of several British hits for the soulful singer from Essex, who was nicknamed Alf. Number 8 is Criticize by Alexander O'Neill, the biggest hit for a Mississippi singer who is bigger here than at home. At number 7, Got My Mind Set on You by George Harrison. At number 6, Letter from America by The Proclaimers. And number five, What Do You Want to Make Those Eyes at Me For by Shaken Stevens. The last of 14 top 10 hits for a retro rocker from Wales. At number four, Always On My Mind by the Pet Shop Boys. Their Elvis slash Willie Nelson cover that would deny the Pogues the Christmas number one. And number three, The Way You Make Me Feel by Michael Jackson. One of the better singles from Bad. And number two, When I Fall In Love by Rick Astley. Doris Day cover from the man who gave us Rick Rolling, and the number one song in the UK, and the one I'm going to spotlight this week is China in Your Hand by Tapao. Named for a Vulcan character from Star Trek, Tapao formed in 1986, led by singer Carol Decker. They struggled in their homeland at first. But when the song Heart and Soul started catching on in America, Britain follows, followed suit. The song went to number four in both countries and hit number one in Canada. China in Your Hand was the follow-up. China in Your Hand is a power ballad about, of all things, how author Mary Shelley came up with the idea to write her 1818 novel Frankenstein. That may seem like a very non-commercial subject, but nine years earlier, Another song about a 19th century English novel, Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights, was a number one hit. Anyway, here's how Carol Decker describes the idea of the story and the mind behind it. It was a theme she had on a scheme he had, told in a foreign land, to take life on earth to the second birth, and the man was in command. It was a flight on the wings of a young girl's dreams that flew too far away, and we could make the monster live again. Oh, hands move and heart beat on. Now life will return in this electric storm. A prophecy for a fantasy, the curse of a vivid mind. Don't push too far. Your dreams are china in your hand. Don't wish too hard, because they may come true and you can't help them. You don't know what you might have said upon yourself. China in your hand. It's all there. The idea of creating life using natural electricity, that life becoming a monster, and the lesson being that making the product of our imagination real may have consequences beyond what we intend. And both the singing and the backing track create that feeling of something spectacular yet dangerous happening. China in Your Hand stayed at number one for five weeks. It also hit number 20 in Canada, but it failed to chart in the United States. The group had six more UK hits, but none since 1991, though they continued to perform and record. So, how to sum up the pop scene of December 1987? 
Well, hard rock was starting to get more mainstream than ever. Covers were big. Older artists could return after time away and still have success. And in Britain, making a sweary Christmas song, singing in a thick Scottish burr, and doing a song about literature were no impediments to having a hit. Thanks for listening, as always. As I've said, there are more outlets now on which to listen to the show, so take your pick, and if you would, leave a good review or recommendation. And as usual, if you like this, tell your friends. You can also find the link posted on the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you'll find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. You can also leave feedback on my Facebook page or my Twitter feed, both of which you'll find at Mr. B. Glovehead. And you can follow along on the companion YouTube playlist, which I'll link to in the show notes. All lyrics quoted are the property of the copyright holders and are quoted for discussion purposes only. No infringement is intended. Next week, there will be some sort of Christmas episode. Not sure exactly what it will sound like, but I'll come up with something fun. Until then, thanks again for listening, and this is Roger Stroop saying, Hello, you fool. I love you. Come join the joyride. R.I.P. Marie Fredrickson.